On November 19, 1986, a flight attendant and mother of three named Hilly Crafts disappeared. When her husband, Richard Crafts, was asked about her whereabouts, he gave conflicting stories about where she was, saying at first that he didn't know, then that she was visiting friends, and later that she was tending to her sick mother. For weeks, the police assumed that Hilly was only missing and would show up eventually, but day after day, she had still not reappeared. After almost a month after her disappearance, the police finally launched an official investigation into the matter, spurred by trickling evidence about Richard's involvement into her disappearance. What is the real truth behind Hillycraft's disappearance? Betches Media presents Not Another True Crime Podcast. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. What indeed? I know. I feel like we always start every episode with like, we need our own law and order interlude thing. I would like that. I feel like ours would like be up though. Because you know how they go dun dun? We'd be like, bum bum, you know, like, (laughs) crime. Yeah, a little sing along. (laughs) Wait, yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, get on it. You know what to do. Or any music producers listening. If actually right. any music producer are listening, I feel like I have a country album in me, despite not listening to country music that much. Please let me know. <laughs> I just feel like I can. That's I can what like, people want. Yeah, right. I, every I feel that's what country music is missing. My take on it. <laughs> Although I definitely saw you as more of a pop singer or like show tunes. I'll be honest. I would take. I'm happily down for either of those. I just feel like that market is harder to saturate into. You're right. Yeah, there needs to be. I mean, true crime does lend it lend itself to a good country crossover. Because also, country lyrics are like so scary and depressing, it's and I feel like, like they always I'll stab my husband. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, like a goodbye at Earl. Some woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. See, that's my album. Yeah, if you guys comes out next fall, <laughs> the same time you get on trial for stabbing your husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coincides perfectly. It's like Joe Exotic constantly posting his shit. Like he just posted something on. Instagram that was like comment if you think Carol Baskin killed her husband. It's like Joe, you're in prison. Just like let it go. You're not getting out. Your sentence is being reduced like a few months, maybe a hundred months. And also, I don't think there's anything that we all collectively stopped caring about as quickly as (laughs) Joe Exotic. At least for me, it's because I mean, like, I can't think back because I'm like, when I think I'm like, when did I watch Tiger King again? Oh, yeah, March 2020. And I'm like, March 2020. (gasps) Uh, Then I spiral. So I need to bid adieu from my exotic uh, energy to save my state of mind. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I'm just I'm ready to just never really think about Tiger King much again. Um, So with that said, let's get into this crime. It was, again, recommended mm-hmm. on Instagram, I think, at Not Another True Crime. So DM us um, the crimes you guys think we should cover. Also, in, if you do, if you don't mind, include a little bit about what's going on. <laughs> I love when people do that. They're like, like, I mean, even less pa- this past week, they were like, oh, can you do an episode on Rebecca Corium. She disappeared from a Disney cruise. And I was like, say no more. We're there. We got it. Just give us a little tagline. Yeah, it's hard. People are like, um, this girl named Stacy from my town. There's something there. And I'm like, what happened? What town yeah. are we in? I do- just right. details to Google for Google's right. sake. Per- per- exactly. Per- I'm like, you guys know about this stuff more than we do, honestly, until we research it anyway. That's a damn fact. So yeah. we love when you give us suggestions and give us the tea. So thank you for that. Um, yes. And this one was someone just messaged us being like, you need to cover the wood chipper murders. And again, I was like, say no more. Well, the, the name really self-explanatory. Yeah. Self-explanatory. So the name of the man who committed the wood chipper murder is Richard Crafts. And let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> him. This man. Our man Richard was born in New York City on December 20th, 1937. He had two older sisters. His father, John, was a businessman who worked in Manhattan and later moved his family out to Darien, Connecticut, which is a very affluent suburb. I have driven through there. It is very, yeah. it gives off that wealth vibe. Yeah, you were, we were driven. It's like we drive through there, but then we're like immediately chased out because we don't meet the minimum like income bracket requirement. My ways, like my ways is connected to Bank of America. And it's like, bitch, turn left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry. Um, 
Actually, I was like, you do have your mom's Mercedes, so that would work in your favor. That but actually is Toyota, true. not allowed here. <laughs> would not You'll work get out. Pulled over. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like to set the scene of this murder, this reminds me of like John List. Like we're talking very affluent New York City suburb. Yeah, yeah. Rich very, people. A lot of just like kind of rich people problems times nine million. Yes. Imagine a white murder. picket fence. And like, this is this is what we're dealing with. So Richard's father, John, was a former World War One pilot and a college football player. Um, Unfortunately, though, Richard himself was not really a superstar. He did end up going to private school for high school, but then ended up graduating from Darien High School without honors, which I mean, I'm sure it was still a great public high school, I will say. You know what I mean? When they're like, he went to Darien High. I'm like, y'all were getting the best of the best. I'm sure it was I a, know. That a still feeder school for something. like a boarding school. <laughs> yeah. Like, relax. Um, but Richard did drop out of college. He joined the Marines in 1956 and then became a commercial pilot for Eastern Airlines in 1968, which at the time was the biggest airline in the country. I think it was also the, bi- the busiest. So, oh, well, there you go. Started- yeah, making pilot moves. DB Cooper. Yes. And then his wife, Haley, was a flight attendant for Pan Am, which that was a show for a while. So I, I think we all know about Pan Am. That show so much. It was so good. It was so good. Gone too soon. Um, and basically, we'll get more into her in a minute, but um, they met because they just like ran in the same social circle. She was a flight attendant, he was a pilot. What a dream love, like a love story that I feel like is so fictionalized in the best way. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my god! The flight attendant meets the pilot. It's like oh, at like an airport bar or yes. a hotel bar. I think that is how they met. They yeah, met at, yeah. <laughs> or they met at like a hotel. I think the yeah, airport hotel. They all stay at the same one, and they're like, well, from what I watched on the flight attendant, they're like, let's get drinks at the hotel bar. And I mean, usually they don't end in murder. I mean, this one also did. That ended up in murder in a different way, but exactly. <laughs> there we go. Spoilers yeah. for the flight attendant episode one. <laughs> I think that's like the premise of the show. Yeah. <laughs> the first five minutes. Spoiler for the first five minutes of the show. Yeah. So you're good there. So like we said, he uh, met his wife, uh, Helly, uh, while working together. And a little bit about her. She was born Helly uh, Lork Nielsen in Denmark on July 7th, 1947. Shout out to Denmark. I love Denmark. I visited there twice, I think, and had amazing times both times. She grew up in a small village and was a vibrant, outgoing child, really painted the town. She enjoyed school and got along well with other students. And as a teenager, she learned French and English, brag, so she could also understand German, Norwegian, and Swedish. I'm so jealous of kids that were born not in America because they all learn like 900 languages. (laughs) I know. And I'm like 80% positive I know English. Like really, really do it better than us. So true. So she uh, ultimately ended up attending university in England and later worked as an au pair in France, which is like uh-huh. an, an, a nanny that like lives in au pair, you know? Mose yeah, beaucoup. I love it. Honestly, very like study abroad vibes. I feel like I knew a lot of people who did this like after graduation when they just didn't want to actually enter the corporate workforce. They're like, I think I'm just going to go live in France for a while and like take care of a random French baby. That's also very cool because I feel like French babies are adults. Like, I feel like at seven, they're just like smoking, smoking a, cigarette. a cigarette. Hey, what yes. are you doing here? Get away Literally. from me. And you're like, okay, thank you. I know, right? Like, I feel it's a kind of sweet de- gig. <laughs> yeah, they're like <laughs> drinking wine and they're smoking a cigarette and they're going to like chastise you for calling sparkling wine champagne. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. A hundred percent. So after her au pair moment, uh, she had a job with Capital Airways, which is a French airline, as a stewardess. Uh, then she started working with Pan Am <clears throat> because they needed flight attendants based in Copenhagen. I love Copenhagen. Oh, I too. love how you said that. Copenhagen. Uh, they have, oh my God, I think my friend's friend who lives there, they go to school for free. I mean, I guess that's so many people go to school for free. Like the government pays them to learn. <laughs> let me, let me, What's let me that? shout that out. To Wells Fargo as my student loan payments. Meanwhile, I applied for a federal unsubsidized (laughs) loan and I had to put two references on it. Like, I'm sorry, is the government going to call up my mom to be like, is she good for the money? Why am I putting a reference on a loan application? I feel like they do that when you're 
when you're older, like, I feel like they're doing that to you versus like when I got my student loans when I was 18, they're like, yeah, dumb bitch, just sign. And now I'm like, wait, Literally. I wish I had a reference <laughs> that was able to I be mean, like, that's don't kind do of, Yeah. Like, that's what I thought it was going to be. First of all, I'm like already pre-approved sort of. So I'm like, wait, yeah. who do you need to call? Ghostbusters. Anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, which of my friends do I need to pay? So just lie to the government that I'll totally be able to pay this back. I'm okay. We all would have every person listening right now would have done that for you. Yes, honestly, and thank you guys in advance. <clears throat> thank you, of course. And also shout out to Heli, because she was one of eight chosen for this job. So it's a very prestigious airline, and like this was a very good gig for her, one yeah. of eight. That's intense. The training was based in Miami, and she stayed in this, ho- in this hotel that a lot of flight attendants and pilots and other airline workers stayed at. So it was like kind of the place to be seen and also stay <laughs> when you're working there. And this is where she met Richard Crafts on May 24th, 1969, while at the motel waiting for a flight. The song Summer of 69 is about them, maybe. I know, like we said, it it does sound quite idyllic. I do feel a lot of like toxic love stories start with this kind of romantic meet cute because, I mean, we know that in the end, Richard ended up being literal trash, but... Mm-hmm. He also was not great from the beginning. This is true. So, I mean, number one, Heli's friends like did not like him. But before we get into that, I'll just <clears> give <throat> I'll paint the picture for you guys. Um, OK, so, you know, those people, those men who are like not really hot, but there's like something about them that kind of makes them hot. And you're like, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this, but, you know, why those, why those guys that you're like, um, he doesn't really have any good pictures on Instagram. <laughs> Yes. So I I do feel like that was Richard. Um, A few outlets note that he was short. He was like five, eight. I mean, I don't think that's like short. I don't think so either. It's like an inch below average. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He was not tall, dark and handsome. Yeah. But also five, eight. That's how tall the baby is. And people are saying maybe that's why he is spiraling out of control this week. Oh, boy. We don't have to get into that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, height aside, I mean, Richard had swag. He was pretty much always with someone. Um. (laughs) He almost exclusively dated flight attendants and which is a brand, a brand. And I also feel like, I guess if you're always traveling for work, those are the people, you you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're always at the same. Yeah. Right. Who else is going to get it? And also, in fact, when he met Hilly, he was actually engaged to someone else. Mm. Uh, Indeed. Red flag. Um, He also told he told these tales about his past that I'm not sure if they were tall tales or if they were true. Or short tails for him. <laughs> right. But <laughs> but he told people that he was in the CIA and also did combat in Indochina. But like the thing is, I just kind of feel like if you actually did that stuff, you wouldn't be allowed to tell anyone. Exactly. And also, I feel this is just my all around idea. It's my principle that money talks and wealth whispers. We've all heard mm. that. And you don't have to, the people who know, actually do the cool stuff and that are very cool, they don't gotta, they don't gotta tell. It just shows from them. You know what I mean? Yes. So I don't yes. buy it. I could see this being based in, like, I, I could see, because he was in the Marines, so I feel like perhaps he did some kind of, like, I don't know, like, he had some mm-hmm. army experience, but, like, I kind of just don't feel like he was in the CIA, but I, it, I could be wrong, but it doesn't really matter because <laughs> True. he's a murderer, so who gives a fuck, honestly? yeah and like we said about these toxic relationships i mean there was theirs was kind of tumultuous at first aside from the fact that richard was engaged to someone else their relationship was kind of on and off they would fight even in public police friends did not like this guy and they were pretty much just like what the hell is she doing with him like she was a regulation hottie Mm -hmm. especially when at the time when they met and she was just like she's her friends were like she's so much better looking than him what is she doing with this dirt bag which there's i think a lot of us can relate to there's also something about a pilot uniform what is it about the pilots i know i guess it's the power of being able to drive the plane and have like hundreds of people's lives in your hands I don't yeah know. and there's something about like when i'm landing i'm like you got me from a to b safe there's i, I i'm seeing oh, yeah. more about you <laughs> that's true there's got to be some kind of like rush transmitters or something something like that who knows or the altitude (laughs) yeah i don't know but in any case we always go for the fuck boys heli was unfortunately no exception and in 1975 she became pregnant with richard's first child um and then they got married in november in new hampshire Hmm. 
Then they moved to a house in Danbury, Connecticut that cost $250,000, which has got to be a very expensive house back then. I was going to say, back then? That's kind of insane. Yeah. And they would go on to have three children together. So, I mean, they had the seemingly the picture-perfect life. They had three kids, beautiful house, uh, good jobs. Mm-hmm. It making was $1.2 million house. I just did the calc- I did the oh, conversion. Wow. Damn. So we're doing all that. Fact. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> so they kind of had a, you know, life going grand for them, life all doing well. And then in 1984, Richard was actually diagnosed with colon cancer and told by doctors that he only had a 2% chance of survival, but beat the odds. So, I mean, that, his body's doing something right from there. That's a, that is a, uh, I, would, I would say a miracle that I, he is an awful person. So I would say it's a medical marvel. But after this, Richard kind of wanted out of his marriage and his current uh, state of life, everything like that. So he started having affairs. He was cheating on Hottie Helly. The problem, he didn't want to pay alimony or child support to divide these assets. Oh my God, grow up. Also, you have a a $1.2 million house. These are your kids. Like, yeah. What an absolute asshole. Like, you don't want to pay to support your children. Here's also what I feel people never talk about. Fuck boys stay fuck boys even when they're men. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, if you marry one, you, you look after this, you're going to be dealing with alimony. Yeah. The hair is gray, <laughs> but the behavior stays the same. And on top of that, he made 120K per year. Back then, I mean, even now, I would take, I'd gladly I mean, take that. yeah, right? I'm like, damn. <laughs> Not even in 1979 standards. Or, but yeah, exactly. Uh, things weren't adding up, though, for... Helly, she was starting to get a little suspicious. She found a receipt for a Christmas gift for another woman, uh, which is a red flag. You hate to see that. And um, she also noted that uh, Richard would disappear for long periods of time and then just kind of come back saying nothing, mentioning nothing, all that jazz. Uh, He allegedly tried to tell Helly that his cancer came back so she wouldn't divorce him. But then she also realized that he was lying about that. Good. Great That start. is just, oh God. I mean, <clears throat> she was no dummy though. No. Hell is smart. I mean, she speaks nine languages or whatever. So she's That's very true. intelligent. Like, yes, girl, the woman is smart. The girl's well-read, well-versed, knows what she's doing. So she hired a private investigator, a PI, as we call them in the biz, uh, Keith Mayo. <laughs> yes. I mean, I hope that is a fake name because that's such a good investigator name. That sounds like a name that like that sounds like the fake name that uh, Sean would come up with on Psych. Like I'm Keith Mayo and this is my partner Lettuce Bananagrams because he always <laughs> gives Dulé Hill the worst name. That's so true. <laughs> I also realized this episode is not for the lactose intolerant because we're dealing with Kraft, so Kraft cheese or and Crafts, mayo. Yeah, y'all better be careful out there. Take your lactacid if you need to. <laughs> so um, this PI Keith Mayo found out that yes, Richard was in fact cheating. With another flight attendant, boy stays true to himself, named Nancy Dodd. According to Helly's divorce attorney, Richard... I think he um, was also possibly cheating with more than one flight attendant, but he definitely had, like, a long-term relationship with, um, with like, this woman, so... When and there's I do smoke, feel like, there's fire. Right? I do also feel like flight attendants or, like, pilots are the perfect in the worst way jobs to have multiple families because it's so easy to just be like, Oh, I have a flight. Oh, an international flight. And like, what are you going to, I mean, I guess you could check the flight manifest, but if you trust your husband, like you're not going to do that. And then you could just be having hoes in different area codes. (laughs) And also with that too, because I feel like if you're working at an office, people would be able to realize and connect dots that you have a family or like a wife. When you're a flight attendant, you just get assigned with random pilots. You don't know who anybody, who the fuck anybody is. Yep. Sounds tricky. So, uh, but also according to Helly's divorce attorney, allegedly Richard could be physically abusive. And uh, she filed for divorce and told her attorney that if she, this is what she said. This is crazy. She filed for divorce and told her attorney that if she disappeared, Richard did it, which is never a good sign. Never, uh, you know. If, if I that mean, is also, that's always a bad sign. If Ugh. that's what she's foreshadowing. Well, what also sucks is like, spoiler she go. She tells people in advance, like, if I go missing, Richard did it. She mm-hmm. goes missing, and the cops are basically just like, ah, 
guess she went missing. Yeah, they're like, like no. I wonder what happens. You're like, did, did right. you not it's see like, the if signs? If only the woman had told you in advance what might happen in the event if she were to go missing. Yeah. Ace of base, I saw the signs. So at this time, too, well, here's the interesting moment with that. At this time, Richard was working as an auxiliary police officer for the Newton police and was a part-time cop in Southbury. So he was kind of having ties with the local police. Yes. Okay, so here is where the disappearance happened. So Hilly was last seen alive on November 18th, 1986. Unfortunately, though, fucking Richard did not report mm-hmm. her missing until December 1st. So that's oh. like almost two weeks. Right? Yeah, two weeks. Let's yeah. about that. Um, her car was found parked at JFK Airport. And then a woman by the name of Dawn Marie Thomas, who was the couple's live-in babysitter, later testified in court that she was working at McDonald's in Danbury, Connecticut, on the night of November 18th. She got home around 2 a.m. It was storming that night. She said Richard's Richard was acting weird like later that morning. He said she said he woke her up early and took her and the kids to his sister Karen's house in Westport. And he claimed basically that the power in the house was out and it would be too cold to stay there. Okay. Then he went back to Newtown for the rest of the day and uh, picked them up and brought everybody home later. Why did he want them out of the house? That's the question. That is the question. So Don said that Richard told her that Haley unexpectedly had to go back to Denmark to take care of her sick mother. Sure. Then a few days later, one of Haley's friends, a woman named Lena Johnson, got a hold of her mother's phone and called her, her, her uh, Haley's mother's phone number. Uh, the mother picked up and was not in the hospital and she was like, no, I'm not supposed to see my daughter until April. What a terrifying phone call to get for the mom. Oh, my God. Right. And then I feel like once Richard knew this jig was up, he started just telling people that Heli was visiting a friend in the Canary Islands. I also love how he was like, oh, wait, I said she was taking care of her sick mom. No, I'm sorry. She's at the I- she's in. She's like vacationing. Right. What are you like? What are you talking about? And then he also told a neighbor that she made a trip to Germany and would be returning soon. Too many lies. As Candy Burris would say, the lies, the lies. Oh, my God. Yes, I'm almost at that point. (gasps) Oh, my God. Anyway, sorry. Super off topic. (laughs) But yes, I'm already at that point and the lies. Um, Okay, so then a few days after Richard, like, tells um, her that Hali is, I don't know, out of the country for reasons that keep changing. Then Dawn, the au pair, a.k.a. the real one. Um, just kidding. Only I'm calling her that, but we can all do that. We can all agree that Dawn I think is a real we've one. had a few cases now where like the friend named Dawn is always the one that <clears throat> blows the case open because she just won't give up. That's some truth. I think it was maybe um, April Kaufman. I think maybe her friend was Dawn. I think you might be onto something. And also, was there a Dawn in Murder on Middle Beach or did I make that up? Could be. Maybe. You have to go back and look. But I know a Dawn rides for you. That's a ride or die bitch right there. So if you have a Dawn in your life, give him a shout out right now. It was, in fact, April Kaufman who had a friend whose name was Dawn. And she told Oxygen that she could, like, April could definitely piss people off and had a knack for telling you to go to hell. So, I mean, a good friend. She knew her well. Shout out. (laughs) A good friend. A steel trap of this memory. We love it. Okay, so Dawn, back to Dawn, the the uh, the babysitter slash au pair. Um, she said that she saw a dark spot on the carpet in Richard and Haley's bedroom. Richard mm. said that he spilled kerosene of all <coughs> things. Like, what? What do you? I'm sorry, sir. What are you doing with kerosene in your bedroom? Like, is this the 1800s? That you part. don't have a kerosene lamp. Sketch. Even more sketch. Shortly after that the parts of the rug with the stains on it were cut out and Richard got rid of them. So you're just walking around like that is looks like the most suspicious thing in the entire world. Yeah, nothing to see here. <laughs> just holes in the carpet. There's some holes in the carpet. Well, that reminds me, this is like, this pays a, almost um, uh, pays homage to the infamous Sarah. You remember damp couch. 
damp couch. Oh now my we God. have damp yes. rug. <laughs> why was it damp? Why was the couch damp? Why was the carpet stink? Why is the carpet wet, Todd? I don't oh my know, Margo. Rich, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, meanwhile, Richard acted like nothing was wrong, even though his wife was missing. He even took the kids to Florida. Some shady. That's some, that's some, no, 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 no. Yep. So kind of not surprisingly at this point, which, which just from what we've learned about this case so far, and a lot of cases in the past, the police investigation has been criticized. I feel like that's usually an across the board situation that goes down. Like pretty much every, every single case we cover, I think, because I feel like if the <laughs> yeah. police investigation was like quick, thorough, boom, they got the right person, we wouldn't have much to talk about over here. That's true. We wouldn't have an outline. We would just have... Um, a byline from a local news outlet. <laughs> only. Maybe one day. Maybe one day, yeah. Uh, when Helly went missing, the police basically was kind of just like, Wamp, and kind of just was, that was that. But Mr. Mayo, <laughs> Keith Mayo, the PI, knew better. So this was the PI, like we said, that Helly hired. Uh, he called the police on December 1st and told them that his client had disappeared and he believed that her husband had murdered her. And he's got some receipts or some motive from his past investigation of him. Turns out, like we said, Richard had connections to the police department and was serving as like an auxiliary officer for a few years. The detectives, though, did interview him a few days later. And he said that uh, he had not seen or heard from his wife since November 19th. Uh, The detectives kind of were just like, Okay, buddy, because they were his pal at this point. We guess she's missing. She'll turn up soon enough. He passed three lie detector tests, which, you know, are so, so, so true. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, very reliable. Yeah, uh, and they were given by the police to his friend. So, you know, all's good in the hood. Uh, Mr. Mayo was not taking no shit. God bless him. And he was, because he was still convinced that Richard had killed her. He, of course, knew so much that was going on with their relationship, his extramarital affairs, everything like that. <clears throat> he found out about this rug and our boy went to the dump. He went to the local dump searching for it. Yep. This guy really went above and be like, tip your PIs. <laughs> tip your PIs. <laughs> give them I tips. Know, that's a good point. I'm like, is that a thing? Huh. Yeah. Send them tips, but then also give them a few extra Benjamins. Yep. After shifting through literal trash of the dump, uh, he found it. He was able to find these cut up pieces of rugs. Uh, the dark stains, spoiler alert, wound up being human blood. Hmm. Later on, right? Later <laughs> on, though, the rug would not come up as blood. It was negative because, I mean, it was contaminated in a dump. So I'm sure it was just mixed with everything at that point. And it was also the 80s. Yeah. But it was a piece of evidence that really ignited fire to make people be like, huh. Mayo might be onto something. Mayo yeah. might be onto something. Our boy so May- Mayo. Our boy Mayo. He's, he's, he knows what he's doing here. So Mayo got the Major Crime Squad, which sounds fake, but the Major Crime Squad. Oh, my parents love that show, Major Crimes. They watch it every night. Ooh, oh, God blush. With, uh, what's it called? Well, it was a spinoff. Oh, my God, of The Closer. What's that woman's name? Kira Sedgwick. Oh, I do love her. A spinoff oh, yeah. of that show. Great show. So they were notified and they were kind of like, all right, let's get this show on the road. Let's, let's help out Mr. Mayo over here. <laughs> let's, let's do our let's, jobs. So, let's solve a crime. Yeah. <laughs> the caffeine hit them, I guess. So they dug into Richard's credit card statements and found some interesting purchases. This just reminded me of, uh, what was that? That vice principal, because they all found the stuff on his credit cards. I guess a lot of stuff gets found on credit cards. Oh, yeah. Uh, on November 13th, uh, Kraft bought a large capacity Westinghouse freezer so a big old freezer, which was nowhere to be found. He paid $375 for it and picked it up at the store November 17th. Mm, what are you doing with that, mister? Yeah, what are you making a lot of Thanksgiving turkeys? I don't think so. Yeah, right. Uh, he also rented a type of machinery at Darien Rentals for $900. Hmm. Hmm. This discovery. I guess you can guess what kind of machinery it was. Based on the title of this episode. I would love if there's someone listening being like, did he get like a, like a spin bike? Yeah. <laughs> Just not knowing at all. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this discovery though, along with the conflicting reports of where Hallie was finally at, uh, got the police to get a search warrant to search the home. Woo. 
Woohoo, just, you know, two months later or so. Uh, when they yeah, got there, they, they found that the house was totally trashed. Furniture everywhere, a mattresses on the floor, carpets ripped out, just kind of truly looking like a foreclosure when you look on Zillow, when you're looking at what a foreclosure situation looks like. Which is actually crazy uh, because it's like, Richard, you had so much time to clean up. So much time. Also, you have like what the fuck? Are you, like hire like you have the money to hire people too if you need to clean this up fast. Um, okay. Yeah, they took samples of fabric around the house and they found that they had the presence of human blood. O positive. That's like the universal donor, uh, which was Hallie's blood type. But here's the thing: found the blood type, found the blood spatter, didn't find a body. But. Mm. Despite not finding the body, they started asking around and found out. A lot of people are connecting dots here. A lot of people are being like, huh, what's going on? So they started asking around and found out that in the early morning hours on November 19th, a highway worker in Southbury, side note, why does everyone in Connecticut sound like it's also an English town? I mean, I guess maybe, I guess that's because of <laughs> the English came over here. Yeah. Uh, they named Joseph Hine, saw a wood chipper and a U-Haul along the side of River Road and saw a man standing alongside. I mean, I guess you yes. wouldn't. Like, I, yeah, I guess like when someone says like, hey, this is what's happening, you'd be thinking, because at first I'd be like, why did you not address that? But I'm like, I guess just seeing someone with a wood chipper I mean, the thing is, is, I feel like it's only weird when you know the context, because like living in the city, I think at least once a day, I'm like, is that person screaming for help or just for sport? That is true. That is, or they're just feeling, you know, that's actually yeah. very accurate. So yeah. it's a wood chipper for Connecticut is someone screaming, yeah. In New York, yeah. <laughs> one in once in a minute, once in a blue moon. Once a you day, do need you to call ask someone. yourself the important questions. Yeah. <laughs> so they went to that area and started looking around. They found the classic like wood chips that you know are used for wood chippers, and then they started to realize some more things that they were finding. And this is where it gets, hence the name of this episode, hence everything. Where all these wood chippers and plastic debris and stuff like that that were chipped up, they also started to find strands of blonde hair, skin, a full-on fucking fingernail. Sorry, the way you said that was so funny. <laughs> a full-on full fucking fingernail. <laughs> they all found that. Mm-hmm. So they also found small pieces of tissue and hair embedded in wood chips in Richard's car. So honey, the jig mm-hmm. is up now. The smoke in wood chip. The yeah, smoke in a wood chip. It's a diamond in a haystack. Uh, back then, like we always talk about, there was no DNA testing. The John Mulaney method of just saying, well, mm, <laughs> gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the best they could do was try to match the blood type, which did match Helly's. State and local police searched the shores of the Hustronic. I think River. the Hustatonic. Oh, Hustatonic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Shout out. My ways lady doesn't know how to say anything. <laughs> and found a chainsaw with its serial number filed off at the bottom of the river. Interesting. Crafts also kept the receipt for a rental truck. Mm-hmm. When divers were looking in the river for Hallie's body, Richard told his brother-in-law, let them dive. There's no body. It is gone. Oh, boy. So we're starting to get a picture here and none of it is good. Nope. So here's pretty much what police think happened, because even though they never found Hilly's body, the evidence at this point was pretty overwhelming. A little bit. Yes. So basically, police think that Richard hit Hilly over the head with one of his like police flashlights. Again, a flashlight over the head. We hate to see it. Um, he thinks this happened in the bedroom and then maybe perhaps he strangled her afterwards and they think this happened on November 19th. Then they think he went and stored her body in that freezer that he bought overnight in his garage. Then he took her to, he owned this land in Connecticut off Currituck Road. And so they think that he took her there and, um, dismembered her with the chainsaw that they found in the river. And a fun fact about this chainsaw was the way that they tied it to him was that basically, even though the serial number had been damaged, they managed to restore it. And our good old friend, the PI found the receipt that showed Richard had bought that specific chainsaw a few years back. 
Well, years, man, this guy kept his receipts for better or for worse. (laughs) And they came back to bite him. Oh, for sure. Um, And then basically after um, cutting her up, the police then alleged that Richard put um, her head, arms and legs through the wood chipper because those were like the parts that were of her body that would be most like easily identifiable. Oh, God. Yes. So so gruesome. So disgusting. I mean, this is so gross and so sad. I mean, this is a mother of his children and all this just to avoid paying alimony and child support. Yeah. And also, that's the thing. It's not like she was did anything to him. You know what I mean? Just the fact no. that she was like, hey, you're cheating on me. I want to get a divorce. Seriously, you're cheating, bro. Like you're. Oh, my God. It's like you're doing the wrong thing. Well, times a billion. But you know what I mean? It's like you started. No, exactly. What an absolute asshole. So. Richard finally was arrested on January 11th, almost two months after the murder. When the police showed up at his house, he hit them with the classic line. I'm tired. I'll take care of it in the morning and refused to come out. <laughs> I don't know if that I mean, here's the thing. Mad ops for that. But I don't know if that really works. <laughs> yeah, I'll take care of my arrest in the morning. Like, hey, it guys, do you want to come back? Work like that. Yeah, I've had a long day, guys. Yeah, no. Um, after the police were like, um, you have to take care of it now. Yeah. He like, finally, I, we're, we're not over for a cup of coffee. We're right. over to arrest you. Yeah, we're not asking, bro. Um, so finally he gave in. He surrendered to the police. Unfortunately, this is really sad because the children were in the house at the time. <sighs> so they had to see all this and they were they ended up being sent to live with Richard sister Karen in Westport, which I think incidentally was the same sister that he sent them to go spend the day with. Westport, um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Which is truly gross, but he did get what he deserved. Danny, do you want to talk about the trial? Let's get into it. So his first trial finally took place in 1987 and it ended in a mistrial. Whoops. So, here we are. <laughs> Just hold hold on, everybody. Do not. Just do hold not, on. We're going home. Do not hop on the Metro North right now to storm oh Connecticut. We are. We will we, 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 we'll get you there. The case was based entirely on circumstantial evidence, and one juror would not budge because of this. Mm. Richard's defense was basically, uh, okay, I, I don't. Um, so you're saying she's dead? I don't know if she's dead. I didn't kill her. Uh, he's claiming now that she just went off and faked her own disappearance. You know how people love to do. You know how devoted, loving mothers just, you don't want to go up and Yeah, just, just fake their own deaths. So this second trial was moved from Danbury Superior Court to New London due to all the press that is going on here. Finally, in November 1989, he was found guilty. All right. This time, the juror only took eight hours to find him guilty due to, as one juror put it, the quote-unquote massive totality of the evidence. Because that's the thing. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of evidence stuck up against him. Uh, so on January, like early January 8th or 9th, 1990, he was ultimately sentenced to 50 years in prison. Some justice, I guess you could say. He got a shorter stint in prison, mostly because of an old sentencing law that provided for quote-unquote statutory good time. Basically, you get your sentence dramatically reduced for good behavior. Yeah, and he didn't. He had like two infractions in prison, but they were they were not that major. Enough to. I think one had to do with like contraband, and I don't know what the other one was. But he mostly had like good behavior in prison. I'm like, can one can one be for hitting your wife over the head with a flash of the money through a wood chipper? Can that be your bad behavior? Alas, so he served about thirty of his fifty years. The law, though, like we were saying, has since been changed. So if he was sentenced today, he would not have been able to get his sentence reduced. However, the Department of Corrections really had no choice because it was kind of grandfathered in. And they're not going to want to deal with some fucking paperwork and backlash for well, this. Well, it wasn't the paperwork. It was that, like, they literally couldn't. Like, that was, was the law, and they had yeah. to abide by the law. They they told the press, like, when he got out, um, because this was pretty recent when he was released, they were like, yeah, we obviously, like, w- they didn't say this, but, I mean, they didn't want to release him, but they really had no yeah. choice. It's like how I was on, um, I had the student Spotify for, like, a few years after I graduated. I was grandfathered into it. So there we go. Except you, but then unfor- you did want that. 
I didn't want that. Spotify did not want that. So true, they yes, true. Me. They're like, ah, we got no choice. Wait, yeah. So he he got out, I think, last year, because 2020. Yeah. Uh, so he also was credited for the time he served between his arrest and sentences, which was three years. And he, this is the very interesting, this is the, I mean, I guess it depends what kind of um, happy hour conversation you talk about. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you- I'm sure this is it. Talk true crime with people. Yeah. The interest, the thing about him, he was the first person ever convicted of murder in Connecticut without the victim's body. Monumental. Which I feel like kind of does explain why the first trial ends in a mistrial because that is it is really significant. I mean, people do get convicted of murder without a body, but it is really a lot harder to prove. Yeah. And it's, you know, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. So it's exactly. tough. I have no so, doubt in my mind, though, that he did this. Oh, no doubt in my mind at all. He served his prison time at McDougal Walker Correctional Institution, the largest prison in New England. Another fact, if you need it. Uh, he go. was released in uh, January 2020 at age 82. I mean, kind of, you know, I guess karma's on him, I guess, because he got released right when COVID started. So. Oh, my God. You're so right. At <laughs> yeah. the age of 82. God. Oh. And after leaving prison, he lived in a transitional housing program, also commonly known as a halfway house for veterans in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I'm not sure what he's up to after that. Not at all. And I, I would, I, I'm curious, but I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, truly. I mean, yes, he definitely deserved to serve time in prison, probably much more than that. Unfortunately, I mean, who yeah. knew, who knows if the judge was like, knew about this, this like statutory good time thing when he sentenced him, you know? Because he yeah. served, like, I mean, a little bit more than half of his original sentence, which I feel like was probably not the intention. Yeah, and also with three of those years being the between time. That's true. Yeah. Well, I think he was probably in, in prison, like, that whole time, which is why he got credited for it. Like, I don't think he was out on bail. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, But, yeah. All right, but yeah, you there. Interesting crime. Also, in other true crime news, um, the dating game killer recently died. Whoop. Yeah, he he died last week in like a, a California hospital while serving time for all of those murders he committed. So, I mean, he will rot in hell. As I say, well, game I over. <laughs> I, as a Jew, I don't believe in hell, but I feel confident that he's there. He's he's wherever the equivalent is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know. Yeah. So that that is interesting. We did do an episode on him. Very interesting. Horrible. Check it out. Yes. Interesting. Horrible. Check it out. Horrible, creepy, terrible man. But you know what? Game always leaves you feeling <laughs> good. <laughs> and you know who's not a terrible person? All right. Wow, uh, what an introduction, guys. You know? <laughs> so happy I'm here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, as you guys very rightfully said, I think we all agree that today's hero is not the police, but Mr. Mayo, the private investigator. Oh, yeah. Who saw this case through uh-huh. the end. What a hero. So, in today's game... We're going to test our inner private investigators oh, on a game called Making Mr. Mayo Marry, where I will what? test you guys. <laughs> First of all, we're getting quizzed on mayo, so maybe this is... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no, no, no mayo knowledge needed for this one. I'm going to test you guys on a series of riddles, and whoever oh. answers the most riddles... Will make Mr. Mayo the merriest and will be the best private investigator on okay. the podcast. I mean, I'm going to show up and be like, Yes, I'm I would like to... my private investigator license. <laughs> I saw Jorge's Riddles 3. <laughs> well, in my mind, private investigators are very good at solving problems and thinking laterally. Yes. And that I, is I true. I feel That's like true. Mr. Mayo would nail every single one of these riddles because he's a boss. What is life if not a riddle? That is, so, that is true. Danny. All right. So the way this is going to work, each of these are going to ask to one of you. 
And then if you don't know or if you get it wrong, then the other person will get a chance to steal it. All right. All right. Okay. First up, Danny, you're up. Okay. What occurs once in a minute, twice in a moment, and never in a thousand years? Oh. Um. <laughs> once in a minute, twice in a moment, and never in a thousand years. All I can think of is a moment like this by Kelly Clark. <laughs> um, time stopping. That is incorrect. Sarah, do you have an idea? Is it the letter M? It is the letter M. Oh, well done, Sarah. On oh my God. the board. Woo. Wow. All right, Sarah, this next one is for you. What is so fragile that saying its name breaks it? Damn, this is tough. So fragile that saying its name breaks it. I don't know. Is it a promise? It is not a promise. Oh, Danny. Oh, wait, I was gonna. Fuck. I was gonna say a, um, a contraction, but I don't know. If that, um, I, um, a secret. Close. The correct oh, answer fe- was silence. Ah. Uh, okay. Oh. We're thinking right. in the right abstract way, though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You guys were okay. both very close to that one. Okay. okay. Danny, back to you. Good lord. Okay. What belongs to you, but everyone else uses it? Is correct, Danny. Well yes. said. Oh. That is correct, Danny. Well said. As one eye, but can't see. Oh my god, I feel like I know this. One eye, a needle. That is correct. Yay. Well done, Sarah. Ooh. All right, Danny. <laughs> What cannot speak, but will reply when spoken to? Oh, um, it's either like a shell or a parrot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the vibe we're going with. Oh my God. What cannot speak, but replies once it's spoken to? I'm like, how modern are we going? Because, like, Siri, but... Um, Truly. <laughs> cannot speak but replies, like, the ocean? <laughs> that is incorrect, Danny. Sarah? Okay, I'm going to go very abstract. Is it an echo? It is an echo, Sarah. Ah! Well done. Oh. Wow. Well done. Wow, good get. That's deep. Thank you. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> I'm like, but Siri should count. I feel like they should update. <laughs> it should, right? Because that girl can't speak, but when you talk to her... She claps. Truly. Really. <laughs> All right, Sarah, this one's for you. Is an older $100 bill worth more than a newer one? Yes, because I feel like you're being tricky and you're thinking of a newer $1 bill. So I'm going to say, yes, it's worth that more. That is correct, Sarah. Yeah. You did. You did. Ooh, I was thinking that because of inflation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny, there's a boat full of people, yet. Uh-huh. Not a single person on the boat. How is that? There's a boat full of people, but not a single person on the boat? Oh, oh, it's a submarine. No, that is incorrect. (laughs) Sarah, do you know? (laughs) I mean, are they all in pairs? Expand upon your idea. There's not a single person on the boat because they're like pairs. That is correct. They're all married. But ah. you, yeah, you got it. You got it. Uh, well, as we learned from today's episode, that means nothing to some people. So <laughs> <laughs> my other option was like they're dead. So no, I was going with that too. No, I was like, just, I don't know what angle this taking. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Sarah. What is at the end of everything? The letter G. The letter G. Sarah, Ooh. you are a machine. You are oh my killing God. it on us. What the hell? My dad used to do this shit all the time when we were kids. He would go like, <laughs> which way is more, a pound of lead or a pound of feathers? Right. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> when teachers would do this to me, I'd say like, goodbye. So I... <laughs> and it hasn't come to bite me until now. All right, we got two more. Danny, two more. this one's for you. Okay. If a plane crashes on the border between the U.S. and Mexico... Where would you bury the survivors? In the ground. That is incorrect, Danny. Sarah. Where are you going to bury them? 
Well, there's probably going to be no survivors. So you can't bury them. Oh, like you don't bury the survivors. That is correct. That is correct. You you don't you wouldn't bury the survivors. That would be another podcast episode for us. (laughs) 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 All right, Sarah, this is the last riddle. And I think you would make Mr. Mayo very happy. Maybe I should have wanted a quiz about Mayo. Really about to get myself a PI badge. Like, (laughs) here we go. All right. There's 30 cows on the field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? What? How many didn't? There's 30 cows on the field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? Didn't what? It's a tough one. 38 cows. 38, 28 chickens. 30 cows, 28 chickens. How many didn't? I don't know. Two? That is incorrect. Danny? How many didn't? Um, oh, do you have to divide? How many didn't? Oh. Zero? Wait, I get it. <laughs> 10, right? It is 10. It is 10. 28. Chickens. Right. Okay. So 30 cows and 20 of them ate chickens. Like so seven, eight, nine. I am going uh. to close my laptop <laughs> so fast. I. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to have to tell my dad what? that one. I'll see if he gets it. You're gonna you're gonna bring these to someone. Sarah, do <laughs> I'm not. gonna call him my dad and be like, Dad, I have. Oh, okay. Your dad you. for vengeance. That's okay. I thought oh, you were gonna yeah. like be sitting dad with someone. Oh my no, god. My dad. I... I'm gonna run them all by him. With a convincing score of eight to one, Sarah, you have made Mr. Mayo marry. You are the winner of today's game. Congratulations. All right. You got this, girl. Thank you. You know, I needed a win this week, I will say. <laughs> you got it. Oh, you did. Man. Thank you, Jorge. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Give us five stars. We love to see it. And keep on DMing us your suggestions, too, because yes. they are how we got this episode. Oh, truly. I mean, I'm at this point, I'm too lazy to Google, like, well-known murders. I don't know. We've done so many. <laughs> and you guys know, I feel like everybody knows about so many more, like, local crimes and interesting happenings than us. So just oh. please DM us your suggestions at Not Another True Crime on Instagram. Or you can join the Facebook group, post them in the group. That was how we got the uh, April Kaufman murder. So that was a great one as well. That came um, in join clutch. Not Another True Crime group on Facebook. Answer the questions. We'll let you right in. Um, other than that, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at Sarah Lameem. You can follow me at Kashmir Danny, Kashmir with a K. And we'll be back in your ear next week to talk all things crime and probably drink some wine. Who knows? You know, the night is young. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.